Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Good morning, Deep Ellen. Life in Deep Ellen. Yeah, those two are mixed in my mind. I think that's a good thing. Um, my name is Marcel. Our family. Thank you. That's so proud of you. Uh, yeah, we've been coming to Life in Deep Ellen for about three years. Uh, if you haven't seen us in the last six months, it's because we were gallivanting about the tropics. Um, no, we were in Brazil. And it was a lot of fun, but it's definitely good to be here with you today. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday. And we're also close, we're doing, we're doing a thing today that's like a crossroads or an intersection because it's like a, it's like a twofold context. We're closing a series, a, a thematic sermon series at the same time that we're arriving at an important milestone in the Christian liturgical calendar, which is Pentecost Sunday. So the series was called God, God Gave Me You. And during the first two weeks of this series, uh, Baranda introduced us to, to the book of Acts. She talked about trust. She shared how faith and trust are crucial for us to understand uh, what it means to be connected, to actually live out, live out this idea that God gave me you, that God gave us us. Um, and she shared how trust can, can bind people together and encouraged us to keep going, to keep trusting in faith, even when clarity and understanding might be missing. Then we, we heard from Acts 5 about authenticity, and Miranda mentioned that uh, one of the problems with that story is the betrayal of relationships, right? What happens when you betray uh, the, those relationships uh, or sever connections to a community? Uh, Josh, he, he focused on inclusion on, on May 15th and um, very aptly emphasized that to live in community is precisely to commit to those to living with those who are different from from us. Uh, my way of, of saying that is that togetherness is very different from homogeneity. Those are those are not the same thing, right? And then Baranda followed up with a conversation about community in Acts four. And last week we heard from Josh a word of encouragement, and he encouraged us uh, with this idea of staying defiantly. Staying defiantly. And he said, may we stand up to and boldly say no to the status quo and not leave defiantly just because something isn't going our way. Or, like my, his last sermon, right, when he, when he said it's not easy to be together with the other, may we be the unexpected, encouraging, status quo, defiant neighbor. I love that, that expression, uh, Josh. So that's one context, right? And then the other is Pentecost. And if you're, uh, uh, you know, a churchy McChurchface person like me, <laughs> you've heard this word forever and ever. And, um, you know, we do it every year. Uh, and I just want to recap very briefly what Pentecost is because it is Pentecost Sunday, right? Uh, it's one of the, there are, there are three main Jewish festivals. This is the festival of the weeks, also called Shavuot. It's a, it's a harvest festival, and it was celebrated 50 days after, after Passover. And Pentecost in Greek, yeah, Pentecoste, means 50 days. So, I mean, if there ever was a boring name 
for a thing that we do, that's it. It's like very technical. Um, and there's a long tradition of, of, of scholars, of preachers connecting Pentecost to renewal in the Christian church, right? So one of the things that, one of the techniques that we learn is on Pentecost Sunday, you preach renewal of a covenant. That's one of the things that um, we're told to do. But that's not a particularly exclusive Christian thing to do because that connection between the festival, the festival of Pentecost and the concept of renewal precedes the Christian church. So in Judaism, that, that was already done. The Christian liturgical tradition, so not only piggybacks on this previous custom, the festival and the concept of renewal. In fact, a lot of our liturgical practices piggyback on things that were already there. The Christian Pentecost, and here is, is where we kind of uh, get exclusive at this point, is it's cap- catapulted into and beyond... This remembrance, it's catapulted into a different reality through the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. So, from the perspective of Christian worship, Pentecost is both an ending and a beginning. It's, it's like the retrograde of Advent, right? So, if in Advent we start to, we start to expect Jesus in Pentecost, at Pentecost, we finish saying goodbye to Jesus, right? Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and then the stuff that we're going to read about today around 10 days after uh, Jesus' ascension and start being a church. So it's the beginning of, of a new phase. At Pentecost, within the small group of disciples gathered in the story, um, we begin a time that we're still living in. And that time is marked by the work and action of the Holy Spirit. So the question is always is, you know, what does that have to do with us here and now at the intersection between this liturgy and our sermon series, the moment we're living uh, through as a congregation? And I am I'm not going to I'm not going to read the story, but I'm going to tell the story. We don't put verses up on the screen. You can pull it up in your on your cell phone if you need a Bible. Do we have do we are still doing Bibles or not doing Bibles? Yeah, we 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 can't we, we'll do Bibles if you want one, okay? Uh, and this is the, the, the chapter, the second chapter of Acts. So, again, church people will know this story. If you don't, Jesus is gone. People are hanging out. It's Pentecost. They're in Jerusalem. And I'm going to mix the new standard revised version with the message and see what happens. Because why not? When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. Uh, the, the NRSV says, the rush of a violent wind, and it entered the house where they were sitting. So these people are there. There's this, this, this sound thing that happens. The Holy Spirit is like, bam! And they start talking in all these languages. And the people surrounding this event, Scripture says, heard the sound and came on the run. And what they heard when they came was a bunch of people saying a bunch of things in their own language. And like this confusion ensues. And the, uh, the, the message says they couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these Galileans, how come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? 
They talk, I'm, I'm jumping a couple of verses here. They talk back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked, they're drunk on cheap wine. So <laughs> there's this moment when Peter is like, okay, okay, calm down. He gets up and he says, welcome everybody, all y'all who are visiting Jerusalem for this major festival, people from all over. And he, he says, uh, listen, listen carefully. Let's get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> and he goes on this lengthy exposition of the person of Jesus within the context of Scripture. He tells the story. And he tells the story to his fellow Israelites in his head, were his primary audience because it's Peter and he has this thing um, with Israelites. But he's speaking to this assembled uh, group that, that mixes people from all these different places. Um, he, he quotes Old Testament scripture, says a bunch of things. Uh, and Luke, Luke is the, the person who we believe wrote the Gospel of Luke and um, the book of Acts. Luke says, he went on in this vein for a long time. Urging them over and over, get out while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. That's the message, NRSV. He testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Same difference, just like get out. And, and this idea that Peter, everything he says is to urge them towards this edge. Urge them to understand what's actually, actually happening. And then... A bunch of people, it's really funny that scripture says, uh, some of them accepted what Peter was saying and became baptized, others didn't. You know, if I'm writing a piece for a paper and I have a, an agenda in mind, I ain't going to mention the people who said no. I'm just going to mention, you know, the metrics of success, right, as we do. Luke doesn't do that. But what he does do, is finalize the book, um, the chapter of Acts, with a snapshot of life together. And that's the last several verses uh, when he says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Uh, they s would eat together. They sold their possessions and shared them day by day. Um, God added to their numbers, etc., etc., etc. Right? That's the, the ending. So that's Acts 2. If you've never heard it, uh, now you've kind of heard it a little bit. And uh, before I go into sermon interpretation, let me be upfront about what I'm trying not to do. Not what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying not to do. I am trying not to go the proclamatory, this is fantastic and miraculous, let's aim for a recreation of what happened in Acts 2 at our church approach. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm trying not to do for a number of reasons. Uh, especially within the context of the liturgical, thematic, and lived moment that we are experiencing as a congregation, I don't want to put the tongues of fire, the language thing, and Peter's sermon in the spotlight. That's been done enough, and I'm happy to point you towards some great literature on any of those things if, if you feel so inclined. Uh, but I would like to highlight today the concept, the idea of connection as a way to gift wrap many of the essential components we've already touched on in this series, like trust, authenticity, inclusion, several other things. So 
to bundle up these, context, the, the, these concepts, I have two points. One is vertical, one is horizontal. It's a major boo-boo, you know, because textbook Protestant preaching is always a three-pointer. Everybody knows this. If you don't preach three points, no one, you know, gets saved. It's just a mess. So I'm going to do that today. Uh, don't expect anything to happen. I, I drew these points from the biblical scholarship on Luke and what he was trying to do by writing his gospel and the book of Acts. And I'm just going to sidestep the whole issue of authorship here for a bit. There's a, a New Testament scholar called uh, Craig Keener, who, who teaches at Asbury. Uh, he says, ancient historiography employed a range of literary and rhetorical strategies to communicate both historical information and ideological perspectives. Now, historiography is a fancy word that we use in the humanities to describe the combination of some account of version of something that happened with an interpretation of that of those facts that makes clear where that person is writing from right so a, a naive perspective of history is that history is facts you memorize them then you you know you go through your tests you ace it and then you move on to the next set of facts uh, that's not a thing in history much anymore, right? It, it just moves to this idea of historiography, which reveals the voice, the tone, uh, the, the embodiment, the organic, the ideological, political, social nature of things that are written and read and proclaimed. So, both in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, Luke is doing more than just relaying information. Luke's texts... Fun function much like um, a written version of Peter's sermon in Acts 2. He's making, Luke is making an impassioned appeal to a way of life that impacts the very fabric of reality. So instead of thinking of Luke as like a neutral observer that is writing things down as they happen, like a stenographer, we got to think of Luke as right there in the crowd with Peter saying, Come on, Peter, you can do it. Do it. Do it. Just go up there. Just say the thing. You know the thing. Just do it. And I'll take some notes. That is the connection point we're looking at today. The, the, the intersection where a way of life impacts the fabric of reality. Where the deep pool of God's grace is revealed to a group of people thirsty for life. At the intersection between God sending us the Holy Spirit, which is my vertical connection, and us finding each other, which is my horizontal connection, there is a point of singularity, an exception, uh, a kiss between the reality we see and the one that we usually don't see. This is what happened when, in the words of Luke and the expression I used for the title of my sermon, the day of Pentecost had come. The day of Pentecost had come. So I'm going to go through these two connections and then I'm going to conclude by saying some things. That's the rest of the sermon. We're going to go with the vertical one first, right? So Pentecost is the first miraculous act of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Again, um, happening about 10 days after Jesus' ascension. And Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit guides the church. That's a theme. And, and that's something that Luke emphasizes again and again and again as he writes. Because Luke is dreaming of the church 
in the words of um, Latinx theologian Pablo Richard, as un movimiento del Espíritu, a movement of God's Spirit. A movement of God's Spirit organized into innumerable small communities of people. In the words of Keener, who I already mentioned, uh, Luke is presumably interested in calling the church of his own day to depend on the same empowerment of the Spirit that he reports. That's his perspective. He believes that it is available for those who seek to experience God's gift. Luke's expectation is that the experience he reports is paradigmatic for. It's a standard for, uh, for his audience and continues to our day. Jesus remains exalted as Christ. The mission remains in progress and the promise of the empowering spirit for all believers, past and present, is real. So he's saying that in the spiritual sense, Pentecost is not only for that group gathered in Jerusalem for that feast. He's saying that the Spirit is present with us, amongst us, for us today. That is connection. I want, to consider, I want you to consider what this might mean. It's one thing to commemorate Pentecost as a, a remembrance, uh, a heartwarming liturgical memory, if you will. It's another to acknowledge the hazard, the sheer unknowability, is probably not a word, that can result from sharing in a reality where the Spirit of God can burst onto the scene, bust down the door unannounced, change the course of the story, and reorganize the lives of those involved. That is connection. When the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit caused the scene. And what a scene it was. What, what kind of scene are we ready for? You know, when we sing, uh, Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. Come wake me from my sleep. With me. Blow through the caverns of my soul. Pour in me to overflow. What do we mean with blow through the caverns of my soul, spread all my papers that I've organized neatly in a pile across the caverns? All my furniture, all my stuff that was labeled is now upended. It's overturned. Maybe blast through the caverns would have been, you know... A better way to put it, that's what the Spirit kind of does here. That is connection. And my prayer for us as a gathering is that as we gather, we do more than just remember the good old days of the book of Acts, but become open to the unpredictability, the, the uncanny serendipitousness of the work of God's Spirit as we try to be the defiantly staying, insistently trusting Unexpected neighbors to each other and deep ellum. That is connection. That's the vertical connection. The horizontal connection. When the day of Pentecost came, the Spirit connected us to each other. That connection is horizontal, mutual. It flows between us. It's also intimately connected with the Spirit because God's Spirit gathers God's people. And one of God's major gifts is that God connects us. There's a, a, a potency, a, a depth of connection with God and connection with others that Luke describes in Acts 2. 
when he says at the very beginning of the chapter, they were all together in one place. That's how Luke starts Acts 2, and that's how Luke finishes Acts 2. Togetherness. God gave me you. God gave us us. That is connection. This all together, in the case of Acts 2, very probably included not only the disciples, but a, a larger assembly. You, you know, some, some scholars count about 120 people, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, the group of women we encounter throughout the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' brothers. So a whole bunch of people besides the 12 disciples. That's the first circle that God brings together in that instance. But as the story continues, more people are drawn into the narrative. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. It's fascinating to me how diverse the list of people who were sucked into this story becomes in Acts 2. So, I'm going to read from the message. It doesn't really matter because the names are just as confusing to us. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia. I don't even know how to pronounce half these names in English. Let's see what happens. Visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. Uh, help me, Kevin and Branda. And Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, Serene. Immigrants from both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. This is pretty much everybody in that kind of ancient Near East world. In Jerusalem. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. They talked back and forth, confused, what's going on here? People were confused, intrigued, bewildered. (laughs) Maybe that's a theological theme that we could explore sometime. You know, a sermon series on absolute confusion. So the opposite of evangelical certainty, right? So we don't know what we're doing. Come listen to us on a Sunday. Um, Maybe that's what it's like in the end to live in a space where the spirit blows. Who knows what is going to happen? Bewilderment as as a way to live, as a way to gather, an expectation of where all the paper that's being spread across the room is going to settle. Now, as a, a spiritually impaired Lutheran pastor's kid, I, I do have to emphasize that when I think of this story, I really don't know what the hell is going on. More than, ha- more than half the time. Okay? But I do recognize one thing. God's Spirit gathers God's people in God's presence. And sometimes that looks very, very weird. Right? Luke tells us in verse 13 that some tried to explain away that awkward, fantastic moment by saying that people were just way too tipsy. So much so that Peter has to say, no, 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 it's just too early. Even if we wanted to, we just we didn't have the time. You know, just, it, it's, so it, it's just that when the Spirit connects us to God and to each other, things may not make sense from the outside. Actually, let's be honest. A lot of the time, they don't necessarily make sense from the inside either. That is connection. And I said at the beginning that I didn't want this to be a sermon about Luke's account of Peter's sermon, but I I do want to point out Peter's tone in his sermon on that day because Luke tells us that with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Peter, Peter pleaded 
with them. That's what happens when the Spirit connects us to God and to each other. The result of the coming of God's Spirit was not that Peter and the others went, Ha! We won! Y'all lost! Instead, Peter becomes a prophet. Peter pleads with the people as the Old Testament prophets, people like Ezekiel, Deborah, Miriam. Peter pleaded with that bewildered, diverse crowd to understand what this coming of the Spirit meant, the coming of this Jesus person meant, how it tore through the fabric of reality like the veil in the temple was torn on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. And Peter doesn't plead alone. In this chapter, he serves as an ambassador, a mouthpiece of the group gathered when the day of Pentecost came. He speaks of and for a community connected to God and to each other. And being prophets is one, is one of the roles of communities connected to each other and to God. To share God's grace, to denounce injustice, to give voice to the suffering, to pray with and cry for those who do not have a voice or are too hurt to speak up. That is connection. When God's spirit tears through the fabric of reality, it leaves in its wake a new path, a new way of life. It's like paint spread on canvas in a Jackson Pollock piece, that that beautiful new way of life. The one that Peter so urgently proclaims and the one that Jesus calls us to is summarized in Jesus' words as relayed by the very same Luke in his gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' summary is the heart of the matter. And the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 turns everyone's head back to that reality. Pablo Richard, the, the, the theologian I cited earlier, says that Toda reforma de la iglesia comienza siempre con Pentecostés. Every reformation of the church siempre begins with Pentecostés. So I want to start wrapping things up here, and I'm going to switch from my kind of broad hummingbird pecking at Bible verses in Acts 2 to a a more systematized verse-to-verse approach for that last little subdivision of Acts 2. That last little bit starts around verse 40. Luke is doing something different as he wraps up Acts 2. He is using a summary And there's a lot of agreement amongst um, historians, Old Testament, New Testament scholars that uh, this shift in prose, this use of a summary, is a shared way of writing, a shared rhetoric um, of of writers in antiquity. And summaries in this context, they they serve to uh, generalize concrete acts and represent a global permanent situation. In the words of that other theologian, Keener, In these summaries, in Luke's summaries, he condenses an undoubtedly wider collection of information that he doesn't have the space to narrate. So he summarizes it. But it's a pattern. It's something that is happening insistently on a day 
by day basis. And he does that, said, said Keener, in order for his audience, which today is us, to participate in that reality, to participate in that mission. So to help us figure out how to respond to Luke's invitation, I want to pull out four key words for us to take home with us this week. All of them can be found in verse 42 of Acts 2. These four words are teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, which is technically three words, but whatever. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Okay? Four things. Together, they can serve as a guide for us to live out Jesus' commandment as we seek to love God with heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be the umbrella people. So, teaching. The study of our sacred stories. Didache in Greek keeps us connected to God and to each other. Because as we tell and retell the stories that connect us to God and to each other, we not only remember them, we also understand them a little more every time. Not only intellectually, but emotionally, relationally, tangibly, every time you tell a story. It just goes a little deeper. It's like a good rub. You know, when you make brisket, you just got to rub it. It's not just, this. everyone knows this, friends. I've learned, I'm Brazilian and I know this. You, you have to know it, right? You just got to rub it in. And then simmer that sucker for hours. That's the liturgical can- calendar in a very, like, hardcore Texan description. Brisket as liturgy. Um, that, that's the teaching that Luke is speaking of. That's why we have Acts. That's why we have the Gospels. Because people like Luke understand that it was important to tell the story and to write it down. We need you to share your story. To be a faith community is to sit down for some good tapestry work. We're weaving God's stories, our stories, the stories of Deep Ellum in uh, in Dallas into something, something, something holy, something ours. That is connection. Teaching. The second thing is fellowship and the breaking of bread. And I'm grouping them together because there really isn't a a border, a division between uh, people meeting and food happening. It just kind of, it's just, yeah. I mean, there's a point where you're all, you know, you're just, you're just hungry. It's, you know. I remember we, we, we left for Brazil uh, in December and got together with a group of friends from a band I played in with 20 years. We lit the grill at noon and we grilled until 2 in the morning, not the afternoon. And, and for me, that's just remained like this paradigmatic um, Understanding of the consequence of getting together, of fellowshipping. There shall be food. There shall be food. So fellowship and the breaking of bread together. And, and I've talked in the past of how, of, of, of how weird it can sometimes feel a lot of the time, actually pretty much all the time, uh, to be a Brazilian living in Texas. I, I've warned you that if we sit down for a meal, we are going to overshare 
and it'll last way past y'all's bedtime. That's just how the thing is going to happen. But beyond that example, the core question is, uh, what does it mean today to, to embrace, to own, to uh, step into that fellowship? What does it mean, in the words of Luke, in verse 43, to have everything in common? That's hard. That's, that's hard. And I'm reminded of Peter's words in his sermon in Acts 2 when he said, step out of that stupid culture. Because the broad culture we live in, all of us, sets us up for the exact opposite of this. We organize our calendars to structure our days instead of welcoming all that blowing and improvisatory playfulness of God's spirit. I mean, it just there's no script. We structure our relational interactions, right? We splice them into half-hour or hour-long affairs. We, we kind of limit our... And I, I, I want to emphasize that I mean me when I say we, okay? I'm not putting this on you all. I'm, saying, I'm telling you what I do. I limit my availability to the world around me by uh, driving instead of walking. We don't necessarily want to hear the driver's story when we Uber. We're tired, we're busy, we're overworked on our phones, perhaps purchasing something online for our hermetically sealed homes. I know that's harsh, and I'll admit it it is a bit of a misconstrued caricature, but still, you know what I mean. What Luke is describing here is more than a random act of kindness, to use Anne Herbert's term. It's a way of living. It's a deep-seated, lived-out commitment to live koinonia, a Greek word that encompasses so much fellowship, shared ownership, giving a gift together, contributing to a shared enterprise. That's the picture that Luke, is paint, that Luke paints for us at the end of Acts 2, where people stepped not only on each other's toes as they served themselves from a communal table, but into each other's lives. Lives. Sometimes lies, but mostly lives. And, and my example here, uh, uh, I want to ask Carolini's permission to say, so throw something at me if I'm not supposed to tell this story. Uh, Carol grew up in a very Brazilian immigrant home. It's okay, I think it'll be okay. I should survive this. I, sh- I should have asked for permission. Yeah. In, in, her, in that culture like hardcore South Brazil immigrant culture, you don't open people's fridges. Like, that's not something you do. You don't, you don't just barge into someone's kitchen and open their fridge. My family is messed up. My family has no boundaries. So I grew up not only opening the door to other people's, I would literally, hey, what's up? My name is Marcel. Open their fridge. People would come into my house and do the same. We had people all the time, right? Um, and, and I, I do think, I'm not telling you to you know, barge into a random person's home and open their fridge. What I am trying to describe is an environment of, hospita- of radical hospitality, of spontaneity, in which you might be willing to risk opening yourself up a little bit more. Telling that story. Because that is Connection. So in our case, that means being willing to open our doors not only so that those around us can leave footprints on our floors, but it's also a call for us to go leave footprints on other people's floors. Josh is really good at reminding us of that. Have you been, t- that's the one thing I hear from, 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 from Josh pretty much every time we meet is, have you been to 
And my answer is usually no, because I'm terrible at this. I always go to the same spot. I have a client personality. If you're nice to me once, I'll be back. (laughs) Make time, eat, talk, hang out, listen to stories, share your own. That's how, in the words of Luke, that community enjoyed the favor of all the people. There was all this other stuff going on, okay? But I'm certain that if they were not hospitable, this would not have happened. Fellowship and breaking your bread. And finally, prayer. Prayer is the last thing on, on that, that list that I, that I shared. So the community of Acts 2, they seem to step into the practice of spiritual disciplines as a way to weave themselves into a larger story, the story of God's people. So prayer in this sense, is, it's much more than something we do together. It, it's more like an immersion bath, like a, a collective pool that we dive into and swim around in. In the time of Acts, the practice of these disciplines, which were only codified into the Christian tradition much later, you know, 4th and 5th century with the monastics and Ignatius and his peeps. uh, But this idea of gathering regularly for prayer, teaching, fellowship, and breaking of bread. Probably, in this case, daily. Probably, in this case, more than once a day. And as I was writing this, I kept imagining us zooming up and down 75 and 30, back and forth, trying to get in all the shared prayer times and then back to work. I chuckled to myself because it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But we're still called to share in these spiritual practices and practices like, like prayer. There's a difference between praying alone and praying here. There's a difference between praying alone and do what we did today in the prayers of the people putting things out there. There's a deep spiritual reason for us to go through the trouble of gathering at the gathering. At life in deep Elam. In deep Elam. And it matters that we come together in person and virtually. That text message matters. That call matters. That note matters. The hug matters. The high from behind your mask mask matters. The how are you and then actually wanting to listen to the answer matters. It matters that we look into each other's eyes as we hear stories of what happened since the last time we gathered and pray for and over each other. That is connection. My prayer is that these four words, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, can serve as um, stars to help guide us as we navigate the turbulent waters of, of this week, of our lives. Richard says that teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, in other words, communion, son las tres actividades fundantes de la comunidad después de Pentecostés. Teaching fellowship and the breaking of bread are the three foundational activities of the community after Pentecost. They're the cornerstone of Christian community. So the day of Pentecost came, has come. The day of a new full whole visitation by God is coming. Who knows when? But crucially, for those of us gathered here today, 
the day of Pentecost is come. It is here. It is now. The Holy Spirit walks amongst us, enacting miracles, plain and special, large and minuscule, visible and hidden, inviting us to connect with God and each other. May God give us the courage to accept that invitation because that is connection. Amen.